0: Long before Peter Jackson's epic trilogy, a pint-sized Bilbo set out on a grand, animated adventure. Discover the lost gem of Tolkien's adaptations in our exploration of the 1977 Hobbit film. Before we get too far, I remind you to rate and review the show wherever you are listening, and to share this episode with a fellow Middle-earth wanderer. Now, let's wander. Released in 1977, The Hobbit animated film was written by Romero Mueller and directed by Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass. What was happening for Tolkien fans at the time? It had been forty years since The Hobbit was published, and about twenty years after The Return of the King was published. J.R.R. Tolkien had passed in 1973, and his son Christopher had taken up the helm as his literary executor. The Silmarillion was published in September 1977, just two months before The Animated Hobbit was released. The animated Lord of the Rings film by Ralph Bakshi would be released one year later in 1978. For reference, the highest grossing film in 1977 was Star Wars. Besides a radio play adaptation in the 1950s, no other adaptations of Tolkien's works had been made. So my guess is that the world was hungry and ready for some on-screen adaptation of Tolkien's works. It actually preserves the opening line of the book, In a Hole in the Ground, There Lived a Hobbit, but immediately starts to change a little bit and give some more context for what's going on in the world. But right from the opening scene, we are rushed away. I was actually surprised by how fast the movie starts, but in some respects, that puts us as an audience in the same seat as Bilbo. Unexpectedly rushed away on some grand adventure that we're not entirely sure what it's all about or why we're even there. But here we go. While some dialogue and some scenes are condensed, like the good morning banter between Gandalf and Bilbo, the film for the most part stays pretty on track with the book plot and hits many of the major plot points. Bilbo is unexpectedly met with a party of dwarves. They venture out into the wild, encountering three trolls along the way. They finally make their way to Rivendell, where they see Elrond. Rivendell, by the way, is literally one little house in the woods, rather than the mountain city we usually associate with it. Elrond interprets the map and the runestones. They head up into the mountains and are captured by orcs, only to be saved by Gandalf, at which point Bilbo falls into the darkness and has the riddle game with Gollum. Now, when we get to the riddle game between Bilbo and Gollum, I want to slow down and zoom in on this scene because there are some subtle yet rather significant changes in Bilbo's character that the film introduces, but I want to get to that in just a moment after we get through looking at the plot of the film. After the riddle game, the company is saved by eagles, at which point they literally just fly over Bayorn. He's not even in the film at all, which I guess makes sense if you needed to cut down screen time. The eagles drop the dwarves and Bilbo off at Mirkwood Forest. Gandalf leaves. They start going through Mirkwood Forest and yet in Mirkwood Forest there is a change in character for Bilbo. There's a moment in the film where Bilbo climbs up the tree to try to find the path and he sees all of these beautiful black butterflies at the top of the tree. He sees the sun over the over the trees. It's really moving for him. Those butterflies really emotionally move him and he feels like he is somehow different after experiencing a beautiful vista like that. Now I don't doubt that breathtaking views of nature can be soul-stirring and moving. However, Tolkien carefully crafted a scene in the book in which Bilbo had to defend himself from a giant spider. Quote, Somehow, the killing of the giant spider, all alone by himself, in the dark, without the help of the wizard or the dwarves, or of anyone else, made a great difference to Mr. Baggins. In other words, it was Bilbo's self-reliance in a moment of existential crisis, when there was no help to call upon, that wrought a great change in him, not just the beautiful vista of butterflies on top of trees. Perhaps this was changed due to the anti-war sentiment at the time the film was created, but I believe Tolkien's scene is more true to life and human nature than we give it credit for. It's in moments of conflict and challenge, where we come face to face with who we really are. Will we rise to meet the challenge, like Bilbo in the Dark Forest? Moving on, the dwarves get captured by the Wood Elves, who in actuality don't look much different than Gollum. If that was intentional, it shows a real depth of understanding on the, on the part of the filmmakers, uh, understanding the differences in the factions of the Elves, that the Elves of Mirkwood were not quite like Elrond. In any case, Bilbo finally helps the dwarves to escape on the barrels. They float down the river, down to Lake Town, where we meet Bard, who is quite a bit different from his book counterpart. Instead of being a naysayer sort of complainer, he welcomes the dwarves. And also, there's no mention of the master of the town, so Bard is already already in this leadership position. Later on, he'll be made a king before the battle, after, after Smog is dead. And speaking of Smog, the scenes with the dragon are shortened, uh, although the conversation is nearly identical to the book between Bilbo and Smog and their little title riddle game. That's where I think Bilbo shows some of his best cleverness, but also gives a slight mistake for Smog to jump in there and kind of figure out what's going on. And somehow these scenes of Bilbo dancing around while Smog is trying to find him, they are burned into my memory as like some of the most terrifying situations that a person could be in. The Battle of the Five Armies happens. Bilbo likes to count out, you know, three armies, four armies, five armies. He counts the eagles as a fifth army. I actually think the five armies are the dwarves, the men, and the elves versus the goblins and the wargs. The wargs that they are riding upon. But the eagles kind of come in right there at the end. I don't know. If you if you want to debate me on that, go ahead and send me, send me a message. Uh, click the link in the show notes to send me an email. And uh, we can have a conversation about that. I'd love that. At the end, Gandalf and Bilbo finally return to the Shire. There is, there is no auction going on at uh, Bilbo's house. He seems to be just fine. There is a slight difference in that Gandalf understands, seems to understand the true meaning of the ring that Bilbo found, saying that your quest is only just beginning and others not yet born or are going to take up the quest of this ring. Now, we know, retrospectively, that the ring that Bilbo found is the one ring crafted by Sauron to control and dominate all the other rings of power. But Bilbo didn't know that at the time, and not even Gandalf. Gandalf did not even know that at the time. In fact, it takes several years in the Fellowship of the Ring book for Gandalf to, to finally put all the puzzle pieces together and realize, oh, shoot, that one ring, it's been sitting in the Shire all this long time. Deriding lines from Saruman from the Fellowship of the Ring film in my head there, right? It's been under your nose the whole time. The love of the halfling's leaf has clouded your judgment. Whatever he says there, paraphrasing so that's the plot of the film. And like I said, it matches pretty close chapter per chapter for all of the plots that uh, are happening in the book. Another really interesting thing to note about this film is I think all of the songs from that Tolkien wrote in The Hobbit are included in the film. Uh, We get The Chip the Plates, Far Over the Mountain. The elves are singing in Rivendell, Goblin Town. Um, You've got a riddle game. Even during the riddle game, they take one of the riddles that Actually doesn't get said, and they they sing that out loud. you've got the fifteen birds and the five fir trees, the road goes ever on and on, the barrel song, uh, the stream runs down into gladness. i think I think every song, almost every song from the book was in the film and if, if I've missed one or two or if the film missed one or two, please yeah, let me know. but I think all of them are in there. There is one original song called "The Greatest Adventure," uh, which I think is really really good. It sort of plays all throughout the film in little snippets. Um, But some some lyrics of note are the chances and the changes. That is interesting to note, because as we know from the appendices in the Lord of the Rings, that the entire adventure that Gandalf started Thorin and Bilbo on came from a chance meeting between Gandalf and Thorin. And chance is a major theme in the Hobbit book, as well as the changes, the changes that Bilbo goes through from being that Nervous grocer bobbing on the mat to being the formidable force for good that he was, which actually brings to mind another thing that the movie left out was the whole Arkenstone and the negotiation between Bard and Thorin that Bilbo sort of played a key behind-the-scenes role in, and that really led to the animosity between him and Thorin. In the film, it's kind of a little bit different, where the dwarves are seem to be a lot more pro-war, and Bilbo is not. Why is it important to call out that the film included all of the verses from Tolkien? Well, number one, I think it shows the care that these filmmakers went through to really stay true to the works of Tolkien and use his own words in almost every chapter of the Hobbit there is a song. And so it would make sense that in the animated film of the Hobbit that it would use all of those songs. But I think also there's a lore reason on why that would actually be the case. If you remember all the way back to episode 1 of this particular podcast, we covered the creation of Middle-earth from the Silmarillion. And the creation of Middle-earth started from music. It was the song of Lúvatar and the Ainur, and they all started to sing, and, and this creation, this earth, Arda, as Tolkien called it, came into being. And so in the deep nature of every living thing, and in the actual planet itself, even in the rocks and the mountains, in everything that is created, there is music at its deep, deep nature when it comes to Tolkien's world and Tolkien's works. And so I think to have that music adapted onto film is true to the very lore and the essence of what Tolkien was trying to create. Now, let's take a brief break. When we come back, I want to dive deep into the adaptation of the riddle game between Bilbo and Gollum, and how the film portrays Bilbo in quite a different and not-so-innocent way. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back.
1: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
0: So, circling back to the riddle game between Bilbo and Golem, the riddle game is condensed, which is understandable. Even Peter Jackson in the Hobbit trilogy that he did condensed the riddle game. But there are three subtle changes in how Bilbo approaches this riddle game and the ring that he has. The first change is when Bilbo gets to his final riddle, it's almost like he is intentionally asking what he has in his pocket. He's not saying this quietly out loud to himself as if he had forgotten about the ring in his pocket. It's almost like he knew, Okay, this is the question I'm going to ask as my riddle. What do I have in my pocket? And of course, Golem is not going to be able to know that. So it's a little bit sneaky, a little bit uh, devious of Bilbo to ask that question out loud as if it were a riddle. Number two, while while Golem is searching for the ring, Bilbo intentionally puts the ring on his finger rather than in the book how the ring quietly slipped onto his finger without Bilbo really choosing to have it on there. Again, Bilbo is showing some intentionality, some desire in using that ring. And number three, Bilbo also figures out right right away that the ring causes him to be invisible. This immediately makes him feel like he has some unfair advantage over Golem. And he immediately begins to change his attitude and his plan about how he's going to get out from Golem. These changes make Bilbo a lot less innocent and, I would say, a lot more mischievous, if not downright sinister. He is intentionally deceiving Gollum, using the power of the ring. Now, I think that is tragic, because in the book, Bilbo's whole introduction to the ring is innocent and by chance. For example, he doesn't just find the ring... His hand happens to touch it in the darkness, and he puts it into his pocket, and the line actually says, almost without thinking. Also, for the last riddle, Bilbo has forgotten that the ring is in his pocket. And as he's searching for another riddle, he's sort of patting his pockets, and he realizes, hey, there's something in there. What do I have in my pocket? He says this out loud to himself, but Gollum hears that and mistakes it for the riddle. And then again, when Gollum is looking for the ring, Bilbo happens to become invisible because the ring, having a will of its own, has slipped itself onto his finger. And he doesn't yet know that he's invisible. In fact, he likely doesn't even know that he has the ring on. But there's a fourth change that I think is even more drastic and tragic to how Bilbo is portrayed in this animated film versus the book. In the film, Bilbo escapes by leaping over Gollum, and with one last final taunt, he says ha ha as he leaps. Now, in the book, this was quite a bit different. Gollum had led Bilbo the way out, Bilbo has figured out that he is invisible, he's followed Gollum up the trail so that he can find the way out, and now Gollum is sitting and waiting, and Bilbo pulls his sword and has it at Gollum's neck but rather than killing his enemy. In a moment of pity, when his sword is at his enemy's neck, he chooses mercy over murder. Why does this matter? Because how an individual begins his possession of the One Ring is very important. In the book, Bilbo is the first creature in history to not begin his tenure of being a keeper of the ring, with deception and intended domination. Like Sauron, or war, like Isildur, or murder, like Gollum Smeagol. Instead, Bilbo became a ring bearer by chance, not choice, and with a huge dose of mercy and pity for his enemy. That subtle difference, that innocent and wholesome manner of becoming a ring keeper, enabled Bilbo to be the only one in Middle earth history the only one ever, to willingly give up the one ring, walk away, and let another keeper bear the ring. An act that in turn allowed Frodo to begin his tenure of being a keeper of a ring of power in peace and with a great sense of responsibility. Once he and Gandalf finally realized what he actually had sitting on the mantle. So you may say, these adaptations while they might make sense for a film versus a book, I think changed the whole tenor of what Bilbo actually was as a ringkeeper. Bilbo was not sinister, he was not teasing, he was not taunting as he began his possession of the one ring. No, instead, he was a hobbit, a simple, plain hobbit who had happened to find the most evil and most powerful ring and weapon in Middle-earth. And that difference carries all the meaning in the world. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.
1: hand if this has happened to you
0: today you're in the middle of work you're knocking things off the to-do list getting stuff done and your kid asks you to play do you drop everything do you ask them to wait a minute what do you do if you're like me you don't always say yes right away the kid moves on you get busy and you forget to circle back around and play an opportunity to make a memory has been lost and the dad guilt settles in not so anymore I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun It's called Dad's Adventure Dice Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within five or ten minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours. That's store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice.